Hey everyone, welcome to the Pop-Up Culture Podcast. Anton and I have been talking about having a special guest on for a few of the episodes, and we've been actually been trying to do this for the past six months, and it finally happened, and we're really excited to have it on. In this episode, I had the great opportunity to talk with author and artist Robert Lou Trujillo, who wrote and illustrated the children's book for Khan's first flat top. And in this call, we talked about the inspiration for the book, his creative process with an infant around, the artists that inspire him, and recommendations for children's books. We also dive into the topics of Oakland, Brooklyn, and managing social media intake. I had a great time talking to him, and we hope you enjoy it too. California, born and raised in the Bay Area. Um, I've lived in Oakland the uh, majority of my life, and that's been the place that I've lived in the most. But uh, my mom's side of the family is from Frisco, so I'd spent a lot of time in the city when I was a kid. Um, I've lived in Berkeley, uh, El Cerrito, Richmond, uh, Kensington, uh, even in um, Hayward and Union City, and oh, okay. I lived in Brooklyn for a little while. And um, I've been back in the Bay ever since 2010, so. All right. Pretty much all over the Bay, all over the East Bay. Yeah, mostly East Bay, yeah. You were in Brooklyn for how long? Uh, I lived in Brooklyn for about two and a half years, almost three years. How was that? Oh, it was a whole other planet, man. Uh, New York, Brooklyn, I mean, each borough is uh, a planet into itself, really. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Brooklyn was very different. You know, like here on my block where I live in East Oakland, you'll hear... Uh, mostly Spanish, maybe Chinese, um, some Arabic. But when I was in Brooklyn, it was like Creole, uh, Patois, um, you know, uh, Spanish, but like Caribbeano Spanish. It sounds very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was in the food, like the food's different, you know, being able to take the train everywhere, no driving was really. Yeah. So it's New York was really awesome. What part of Brooklyn was it? Uh, I lived in three different neighborhoods. <laughs> Uh, when I first got there, I was living in um, East Flatbush, and then I moved to Bed-Stuy, um, Bed-Stuyverson, um, mm -hmm. before that change, which I hear is uh, rapidly gentrifying. Yep. Um, yeah. and, and I lived in Ditmas Park. Um, so it was two train, the A train, and then I think the R or the Q, I forget what the Ditmas. The yellow, the yellow line. The yellow one, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, li you lived in New York? Uh, I lived in New York when I was... Uh, I, when we came over from the Philippines when I was a kid, I lived in Queens for four years. Oh, okay. Right but I visited New York a lot. Um, Anton's wife actually went to school in New York for grad school. So that's when I started going there as an adult, was um, hanging out with our friends over there. So I was familiar with the yellow line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Queen, it's funny. I remember seeing this dude. Um, I was taking a train in Brooklyn. Mind you, I'm from the Bay. And so he asked me, you know, which train to take to get back to this area of Queens. And I'm like, man, you don't know, like, ain't you from here? Like, you don't know where you're going? And he was like, I'm from Queens. I don't even be over here in Brooklyn like yeah. that. And I was like, okay, all right. That's funny, because that's how I feel about, uh, ever since living in Oakland, uh, my wife and I never head over to San Francisco or. <laughs> yeah. Because we, you know, we got everything we want in, in this city. Yeah, yeah. And also San Francisco's hella changed too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's way different. I just went to the city today to read to um, 
uh, kindergartners and first graders in um, the Excelsior, which I used to work in the Excelsior. So uh-huh. it's been a long time since I've been over there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember you said the the other episode where you were uh, you had like a dad fail with like getting the kid ready for mom came back from the airport. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. That was hilarious. I was like, I feel you, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, you know, fortunately, it wasn't all that bad. But yeah, I, I was thinking about it afterwards. I was like, oh, that was bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, did he did, did he get his French fries or no? He did. Eventually, we got those French fries after being in line for however long. Right on. Good for him. French fries. <laughs> Uh, what did you read? What book did you read? Was it your book? Uh, today, yeah, today I wrote, I read uh, for Khan's first flat top, and luckily for me, the uh, the uh, the teachers they had already kind of prepped them, so they nice. they knew about it when I got there. Well, um, can you share a little bit about your book? I know it's been out for a while, and um, you did your yeah, thing sure. with it, but yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so um, for Khan's first flat top is a book I wrote and illustrated. Uh, it came out in 2016. Uh, I self-published it, me and my wife. Um, I did a Kickstarter for it to kind of like raise money for the printing and um, to pay for the design, which my wife did. Um, she did the cover and the layouts and the type and all the design aspects. Um, I wrote and illustrated it and um, had a good friend of mine, Cynthia, do the translations. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's been a really awesome experience to make it, you know, like before I was just an illustrator, I just worked on other people's books. So mm-hmm. to be able to write was um, ironic because when I was a kid, I really did not like reading or writing at all. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been really good. I've had a chance to read in schools all over the Bay and um, talk to lots of kids who say they like it and libraries and uh, getting into bookstores nationally and internationally. So it's been really good. Yeah, it's been cool. I, I uh, get to see some of your pictures, you know, on Instagram or Twitter yeah. when you're you know, reading the book and then doing some other things. Um, yeah, I'm glad that the kids are are connecting with it. Yeah, me too. Um, and it's, you know, it's in Spanish as well. It's it's English mm-hmm. and Spanish. So I there's, there's that as well. There's like a, a wider audience it reaches because of that uh, in addition. So how so what was the the origin story of that book uh yeah yeah the so it's it's um for cons first is about uh a father and son it's you know it's a father and son story there Mm -hmm. there are not that many picture books that are about fathers and sons of color so that was one of the reasons why i wanted to do it um and it's uh, although it's about uh you know a family of color it's not like about slavery it's not about history it's not about like uh uh, pain or struggle yeah. as, as that is um, it's just like kind of like a slice of life every day mm. um, getting a haircut which pretty much is universal everybody no matter which type of school I go to all the kids you know can relate um, but the story came from you know when I was a kid I, I got a flat top and so part of it is my story um, the name for Khan actually comes from uh, a little boy that my son went to school with um, he went to a uh, African-based school in, in Brooklyn, and one of mm. the little boys there, his name was Fakan, mm. so that's how I got the name. Um, and then uh, I just threw in a bunch of things, like some of them are from me and my son's experience, and some of them are just from uh, talking to other dads. Um, so it's a mixture of those things. Nice. Yeah, I like the, um, 
that's cool i appreciate the story being a father-son story not because of this podcast but just being a father (laughs) and you know and then bring in um like real life story like like you said slice of life stories yeah Yeah. um and my my son's only two and a half so he can't oh oh, well now he can understand more of it but when we first started reading it to him oh you guys yeah yeah we've been and i tried to read the spanish i'm not Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, Tagalog was my first language, so I know some Spanish oh. through that, and then I yeah. did pretty well in Spanish class. So, Do you still speak it? Huh? Do you still speak Tagalog? No, my, my, I still under, I understand um, conversation. I was only four when we moved here, so I kind of stopped using it regularly when I was five. Okay. But my parents speak to me. They still do sometimes. I, t- I try to get them to talk to me more in it, but... Um, I actually probably know, I probably understand, or I could probably speak more Spanish or read more Spanish than Tagalog, just because Tagalog's, uh, the vowels are kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have uh, quite a few good friends who, who speak it, so it's interesting. My my sister, Cece, my play sister, she um, she speaks it, so whenever she busts it out, it's like really cool to hear. Yeah, and then there's a lot of Spanish in it. That's probably why I, why I, I can... Uh, understand and read some spanish better than other languages obviously because yeah the The colonizing yep (laughs) yep yeah no like uh familia and yeah there's so many words that are in common yeah yeah um the other the in the book too there was uh there's a piece about the haircuts and um you know like in a lot of children's books there's also the other the other layers of education whether it's like math or science or whatever sure but you do you put in a lot of like just flat things and using the flat uh metaphor for to bring in other pieces of the culture yeah exactly um i appreciated that too oh thank you yeah that's actually uh i mean i had some ideas but that's that was uh, my wife's idea also well she also said um why don't you try to hide as many flat things like in the background as possible to see if kids would notice, which I did. Uh, but I don't I don't call attention to it. Occasionally, a kid will point something out. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's flat, too. That brings in a lot of I mean, it adds to the readability, right? I hope so. I mean, you never really know until it's in the child's hands and they read it or you hear someone read it out loud and then you're like, oh, OK, yeah, that's working or that's not. Uh, what are the some of the kids been saying to you about it? Um, well, like I, I read to some children today mm-hmm. in Frisco, and I read to some kids yesterday in Oakland. And, um, a lot of them, I mean, there's a mixed group of kids. Um, a lot of them identified with going to get their hair cut. Uh, and, and often if it's a group of uh, girls as well, I don't say barbershop, I'll say like salon or I'll mm-hmm. ask, you know, how many of you, um, you know, have someone in your family that cuts your hair? Um, so many of them will say, you know, I got my hair cut or I, I got a flat top or, you know, uh, basically like I know what that is or I understand like they're in some type of agreement, which is helpful. Yeah. Uh, every now and then there's a kid that's just like, I don't get it. <laughs> or look at me with a blank stare, which is fine, too. Yeah. How old were the kids? Uh, yesterday they were, um, their age ranged from, I want to say like fifth graders up until, uh, preschool. Mm -hmm. So it was four different authors. We were in this, uh, 
youth center, the West Oakland Youth Center, and uh, uh, author by the name of Frank Clayton, he organized us, and we we had a, a group of kids read with us, and then they would switch, and then they would go to the next author, and they just kept switching like that until each group had visited with each author. Wow. Uh, and then today, today when I read, they were all kindergartners and first graders. Okay. Yeah. Do you uh do you get a chance to read it in Spanish? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, occasionally I'll you know I'll be at a library or a school and um they'll ask me to, or sometimes I'll say you know I speak Spanish as a second language, so I will ask them you know in Spanish like how many of you speak Spanish here? Would you like me to read it in Spanish? And then you know depending on how many hands go up, I'll read it in Spanish. Um, but um yeah it's um. The Spanish is kind of like I asked Cynthia, who translated, to make it kind of universal. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're from Spain or you're from New York or you're from the West Coast, you you can kind of understand it. Yeah. Yeah, I learned. There's a lot with translations with different regions. Mm-hmm. Um, been learning a lot about that, like in different jobs I've had. I, I worked at one one place that um, we worked with uh, folks here in the U.S., all over the U.S., and also in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So the I, hearing the different uh, Spanish um, was cool because then realizing the different accents and different words and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I ask is, you know, what words do they use for cool? You know, if you're from Central America, they might say chévere. But if you're from Mexico, they might say chido. Mm. Uh, if you're from the Caribbean, they might say something else, you know, like depending on where you are from, they use different words, yeah. different dialects. Yeah, the lang- the the accents too, like um, yeah. So I, cause I, I did. I mean, most of my early work, uh, background in work was working with with young folks. So I ended up working with a lot of, um, a lot of youth teenagers. Mm-hmm. And um, occasionally got a chance to do some presentations to parents groups, and they were usually in Spanish. Oh, cool. And most of um, I mean, I wouldn't do it in Spanish. I had a coworker, but then I could sure. follow um. And most of them were from Mexico or Central America, so like the the accent I could kind of follow if they're talking slow enough or like yeah. um, if if I asked them to slow down. But mm-hmm. Hung and I we went to Puerto Rico oh, for cool. our honeymoon, and I'm like I can't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the because, crazy Spanish. Yeah, um, but it was cool. I appreciate the 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 uniqueness of it and appreciating the different the differences of it yeah no um, i agree yeah when I, when I moved to new york um a lot of people who are cubano or boricua would come up to me and they would say you know i mean out there for them to say what's up they would say que lo que. a lot of dominicans say that actually mm, but mm-hmm. on the west coast like mexicans would say uh que onda so it's like when they first started saying it to me i was like what you know, like, yeah <laughs> Can you hold on for a second? I'm going to check on my daughter. Yeah, definitely. How's she doing? Oh, she's okay. She's. I feel like she's teasing or just really annoyed by something. I'm not sure. Does she have a pretty um, regular sleep outside of if she's teething or sick? Um, she was. I mean, she would... She would um, kind of go to sleep go down around like 7 or 7 30 and then she would wake up at i would wake her up at like 10 30 to give her a bottle kind of what they call a dream feed that's what my wife 
research yeah. the time. Um, and then she wake up again at like two, and then again at like five and six. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's kind of the regular right now. <laughs> she's six months, you said? Yeah, she's about to be six months. Nice. Well, you have a 14-year-old. How, how did, it, did, did it all come back to you, or was it like starting all over again? Some of it did. I mean, I think... I think there's some stuff that like once you do it you you know you kind of like it's like riding a bike you just right. get right back on but mm-hmm. you know each kid is different so she's she's different in temperament than, than he was um, yeah. like for example she smiles a lot like when she wakes up mm. um, she smiles or my, whereas my son like I had to tickle him or like you know, <laughs> really funny face to get him to smile um, but yeah some some things are similar some things are the same yeah it's funny because I don't even, you know, we have some friends who have kids that are younger than Malcolm, but I, I, when people ask if I can remember how he was at that age, I'm like, I can't even remember it two weeks ago. Yeah, it's tough. I, I felt bad, too, because my son was like, well, what was I like? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. Because <laughs> <laughs> they change hella fast. I mean, you know, like, I guess, I mean, you obviously know 14 years, years old, yeah. but, like, yeah. especially at this age, they, like, things change hella quick yeah do do you and your wife keep like a um a baby journal or like something where you like write down what they do or, or not really no we should have we started she started an email that um we were supposed to write him letters and stuff but we never did it it's so hard dude it's so hard if you're like grinding doing the work and taking care of them it's like yeah so you forget uh i mean fortunately you know it's the age of like cell phones so we've taken a lot of videos and pictures that's good and that's the way that we kind of like chronicled back to like, oh man, look at his face. It was totally different here and totally like um, what he sounded like crying was, you know, that's one of the things our friend said to me early on was like, make sure you record his cry in the first week in the first two weeks because it's completely going to change and you're never going to you know hear that again for unless you have another that's baby. True. That's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, she definitely sounds different. She's. Uh, in the past couple of months, gotten like way more louder. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> when she was born, I called her a squeaker just because she was like, it was like a little small cry. Uh, yeah. Now it's like very loud. Yeah. So how's it been? Um, with the six, I mean, just going through that again. Um, it's it's been good i mean it's awesome you know I've, i feel really blessed um there are those days where she's just like freaking out where i'm like oh my god you know <laughs> sleep but um you know i feel really blessed um it's um right now my wife is working full-time yeah. and i'm in so i'm i'm taking care of her full-time and i yeah work when she gets home or work on the weekends um so that's that's tougher but you know it's it's worth it to just kind of be there and be consistent with her and take yeah. care. Yeah, yeah. Anton was doing that for a while. Like he was the one that was at home, especially with Ellis. He was um, because t- test work. So yeah, and it's before um, he was able to get a little bit more of a consistent gig. Yeah. Um. The, how has it been with her in terms of your creative process? Since you know both things take a lot of time and care. Um, I think, well, what I did with my son, when I, when my son was born, I had just started as a freelance artist. So I, I was really just kind of figuring out 
you know, I mean, besides doing kids books, I work as a freelance illustrator. So I, you know, I do stuff for nonprofits and other publishers and all kinds of clients. Um, but when I started, when my son was born, I was just figuring out what that it means to be an artist. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't keep track of my finances. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't even really know about invoicing or anything like that. So yeah. now, you know, many years into it, um, you know, my son's 14 now. I feel like I have more of a handle on it. So even if it is difficult, you know, like she wakes up in the middle of me working on something, um, I feel like I have a better handle on it. It means like I, I work a lot slower and I'm able to do less, but um, what I can do, I, I can still knock it out. So it's, you know, it's a it's a learning thing. I, I've, I've actually brought her with me to read to school before and the kids, yeah. you know, loved her. Yeah. So it's it's learning, but you know, kids are constantly changing. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> there, yeah. might, there might be different in six months or a year. How have um, well, obviously, for for Khan, the book you you had your son as a partial influence on that in terms of yes what you wanted to create. Um, with both him and your daughter, what are the uh, are they influencing the the things that you you personally want to work on outside of like you know your commission jobs but yeah um yeah how how's that been um yeah i mean um there's a story i was working on before she was born that was about a mother and daughter um building a project together and it was very much like uh both of them in a male dominated industry um or field building something which is is not out there mm-hmm. and i thought you know when I came up with it, like many, many years ago, I came up with it around the same time as for Khan, like, oh, you know, I'll just wait and see if someone does that. And, you know, many, many, like a decade later, still no one has done it. So I'm like, even though in the children's book world, it's very important uh, right now for, you know, people of color to write their stories, queer people to write their stories, um, basically people who have been shunned out of the field to mm-hmm. have their voice in it. Um, I'm a dude and I'm going to write it about, you know, a mother and daughter just because I'm like, ain't nobody going to do this unless I do it. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just kind of apologize once I get to flash <laughs> after that. So like now having her, it definitely makes me want to finish that. And it also makes me think of um, just non-traditional uh, things I can do. Like there's this woman in Palo Alto who makes uh, kits for, for kids. And she's, mm-hmm. I think, I think she has a boy and a girl, but I'm not sure. But um, she makes these kits are like kind of like engineering kits where you can you can build things. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait till she's old enough to so I can get her one of those. She can yeah. play with it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate you're conscious of that. I mean, obviously, there's we want diversity in storytelling, but there's always that question about like the right storyteller or at least um or the right story and how best to to be respectful for those stories being told yeah definitely um what have you i let's kind of go back to the book you're why did you want to make a children's book um i i wanted to make a children's book because um when my son was born, you know, we were getting tons of uh, picture books, you know, from my my mom, uh, my son's mother's family, um, from family and friends, and then just stuff that we would, 
go buy or go check out from the library. Um, and I felt I wasn't conscious of it at the time and I didn't have, you know, the, the vocabulary really to express it. But at the time I was just kind of frustrated. I was like, why are there no books about, you know, a kid like him? Like, you know, he was born in 2004. So I was, I was really surprised and I was kind of taken aback. I was just like, this is really odd. Like whenever I would go to Barnes and Noble, which we did a lot. And I don't know if you remember how they have those train sets and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I would just get kind of upset that there weren't any books specifically about like mixed kids because i'm a mixed kid i come mm -hmm. from uh three generations of men who are mixed so i was really surprised that i i just didn't see any books about kids like him um so my dad is uh korean mexican and apache and my mom's black and i knew for sure i wasn't gonna find no book about that <clears throat> but at least maybe like a kid who's you know black and asian or you know something yeah just this is back then uh, and it just was not happening so i was like you know forget it you know i'll just i'll just do it and so uh, at the time you know my main focus was of course taking care of him but also uh mural arts and illustration and so i was more focused on things that were um on a wall on a canvas and social justice was a huge part of that mm -hmm. and i really didn't know anything about the kids book world <clears throat> so my son really is the one who inspired me to want to make a picture book or get into uh, storytelling. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, I really don't know if I would have taken this path. Um, but I'm really grateful for him. Like he and he inspires me so much. Even to this day, he really his imagination and things that he thinks of and the things that he says really inspire me. Yeah, that made me want to get into the field. And then once I got into it, um, uh it's just kind of like falling down the rabbit hole like I, I found that I really love uh books and that wasn't the case when I was a kid so um when I kind of got the words for it I understood that there were a lack of books that really interested me and a lack of books that reflected my experience so that's mm -hmm. probably part of the reason why I just I just wasn't feeling it like you know I was just like whatever that's I, I felt like it wasn't for me but um I understand now that the more books that you have that are, you know, just uh, like like we were saying before, like a lot of different types of voices, uh, specifically people of color, uh, disabled people, queer people, um, you know, the more you have that, the more interesting it gets. And uh, I can point to many books now that are really awesome that, you know, my kid self would have been like, oh, I can't wait to read this. But at the time, there just wasn't. So, yeah, I think that's what got me into it was your son part of the creative process like did he get to see you working oh, yeah. on it yeah oh yeah yeah i, I shared it with them uh I, I was, let's see um when i started working on it with 2016 around that time no 2014 actually he was how old was he um was he like eight or something like that so yeah he definitely mm. gave me feedback he would say you know <laughs> like if he laughed at something i'm like okay i'm on the right track but yeah kind of like gave me a blank stare i was like okay i need to work on that a little more um so yeah he's definitely was my first test reader was it um did he feel any kind of way when once it got published then he saw the book actually be a book um i think so i mean i hope so i yeah. I, I don't know if he had the words necessarily to express you know that feeling mm -hmm. but I, I he definitely liked it you know he yeah. was, or he would tell people yeah that's my dad's book 
um, you know, when he got his, when I got a copy and said, this is your copy, this is yours, um, he wrote, you know, author's son in the book. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's, I think he likes it. We'll see. You know, when he gets older, maybe he's like, you know, I was just trying to make you feel better, Dad. I, I don't know. We'll yeah. No, I'm sure he, I mean, because uh, uh, if he was working in the process, you know, that's his work, too. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. you're. I'm sure he loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when uh, the kids at his school, they got to hear it as well before it was done. So mm-hmm. um, oftentimes they'd be like, oh, that looks like him. That looks like your son. And that looks like you. And I'd be like, well, I guess. kind of. <laughs> we got your book. And I think the reason why we found out about your book, Kung's the one that actually supported the, the project on Kickstarter. Oh, cool. Really? Yeah. Because she, awesome. she, um, you're friends with Tiffany? Yes. Yeah, yeah, she she's friends with Tiffany from oh, her awesome. old work. Like she used to work in Chinatown, like way back when. I mean, and you know, she eventually did again. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely. knew each other from way back when. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll tell I'll tell her that when I when I see her. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's how. That's probably how she found out about it. I mean, she you know like or yeah anyway. So she yeah. she supported it. We got it, and we were reading it cool. And we had we had these we bought extra copies. We we're gonna give the other two to some some folks as their kids get older um but you know we got that print for that we put up on our wall or oh, put, cool. put up on Malcolm's wall yeah and so you know when he was younger he didn't recognize it but at some point once he was old enough to recognize things and recognize the same things you know oh, like oh yes yes um i was reading the book to him and uh he saw that page when with Furkan and um and the friend yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah yeah uh that print and then he just like paused and he looked at the print and then he looked at the book that's and so cool it was kind of like the same you know i forgot what he said but it was it was it was a funny moment because you know like we've been surrounding him with different kinds of voices and different kinds of images at, since he was a kid because it's something that we value yeah yeah and it's not like necessarily like the only thing we're going to buy is um books of like diversity but i mean we do it on purpose but we also buy books that we think is just funny or cute or whatever right Uh, yeah um but we just value it right so it was it was kind of it was cool that um he made that connection that Um, is cool i I really love to see when you can see the wheels turning in in children's head like they're putting two into it i love that like that to me i think that's one of the most awesome things about being a parent is um it's kind of like uh, reliving your life, like just seeing through fresh eyes, like mm-hmm. something that you think, oh, yeah, that's that's a daisy or that's a, a flower. Like you're just like, yeah, whatever. And then they see it and they're like, whoa. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that is kind of cool. Yeah, no, it totally is. Uh, we were out and we were out in Pescadero a couple of weeks ago because okay. we wanted to take them to the goat farm. And oh, then okay. I was like, because hey, I've been reading this other this book. Um, that's mostly in English, but some Spanish in it. Mm-hmm. And um, they're at the beach. And I'm like, hey Malcolm, you want to go? Want to go touch? You want to go to the beach? Want to go see the um, see the water? Want to see the agua? And he's he's like, I want to go to the beach. I'm like, yeah, the agua is out there. Uh, and then at some point, I was like, hey Malcolm, you want to go to the beach? He's like, no, I want to go. That's the <laughs> that's the agua, Daddy. It's the agua. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but it was funny that he's making that connection. It was cool that he's making that connection. But yeah. um, um, he was actually saying agua for a while for water. Um, 
and then he stops saying it. He's like, water, water. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not agua. It's water. I'm like, but it's Spanish, and he, you know, he didn't get that. There's two more than one language, obviously, when he was younger. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I spoke to my son in Spanish primarily until he was about twelve or around that age. Yeah. And um. He just stopped. I mean, he would speak it back to me, but then after a while, he was just kind of like, anyway, he's just kind of like, right. whatever, bro. And like all his, all his friends, um, black, white, uh, Latino, Asian, all at his school, they all spoke Spanish. And uh, at a certain age, they all kind of stopped speaking it. And they were just kind of <laughs> like, anyway. Yeah. It wasn't the cool language anymore. Well, 12 years is long enough. He's going to, he's going to come back to it at some point. I Probably. hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I told I was like, you know, when you get older and you're trying to holler at somebody, like you, you better use that. <laughs> it's the motivation. Yeah. I'm like, you're gonna you like watch. You'll you'll thank me and your mom later. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> I can't uh, uh, like I said, I was only, I was only four when I started speaking English primarily, so Hung speaks Vietnamese uh, um, fluently, so he, she's oh. the only one that can really re influence like true bilingual Mm -hmm. a, a second language because i read basic spanish books to him but not i can't do anything more than that um okay but she can speak vietnamese to him and she, he's been with his grandparents for the this week because we both had a work trip um, yeah and they speak primarily in vietnamese uh, they obviously speak english well too but um I, he, he's actually picking some of it up that's cool that's really awesome yeah, I know some kids, uh, very good friends of family who are uh, both Chinese and Vietnamese, and they they know Chinese very well. And I, I I'm not sure. I hope that they're picking up some Vietnamese as well. Yeah, and it's the age, right? They say like it's the easiest when you're, yeah. I don't know, younger than four. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> You had mentioned that there was uh, awesome some other awesome children's books that you've been into or yeah. that you would recognize rec recommend to folks um what are some of those books um man there's there's so many of them um okay what do you know what what type you're looking for in particular or just uh general? just anything just in general like some of the the your favorite ones that come to mind that um that folks that are listening could could look into if they haven't heard about him before sure i mean well if i'm thinking of kids who are like old enough to read on their own like uh like comics and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, pashmina is a really good one um i don't know if you know or if you're familiar with that one mm -hmm. but um the author's name is nini chanani she's a cartoonist mm -hmm. uh, and it's a really dope book um pashmina that's that's an all ages graphic novel um for if you want to like go over some social justice stuff with them, I think um, Anne Burlack's book is really good. She has a book that's called Joelito's Big Decision, and it's it's very relevant to like the recent teacher strike because the book is about um, uh, worker strike, and it's like this kid has to make the decision if he's going to cross the picket line or not. And I won't mm -hmm. give it. It's a it's a picture book, probably good for little ones, and that's a really good one. Yes. Um, Gail uh, Roman Santa, she's a Filipina from Stockton. She just finished a book with the late uh, Don Mabalan that's called um, uh, what is it? Journey for Justice, and it's mm -hmm. about uh, Larry Itliong, who was, you know, the Filipinos are such a huge part of the what you might call it, the UFW you mm -hmm. know, strikes. 
Um, so they just finished a book about him. And, you know, strangely enough, there's, there's no uh, kid's book about Larry Itleong. So, yeah, theirs is like the first one. It's I would say it's more like a maybe like a middle grade book. But that's a really good one. Um, Maya Gonzalez who's from San Francisco. Um, her and her partner, Matthew, they do a lot of books about uh, gender identity and uh, gender fluidity. So they have one that's called They, He, She, Me. That's, you know, if you want to talk to your kids about, um, you know, gender pronouns and how people identify, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, for the older kids, um, T. Bui, um, she's she's Vietnamese. Um, mm-hmm. She came out with a book called The Best We Could Do. It's a really awesome graphic novel. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably for like the high school kids or the older kids. Yeah. But that's a really dope book. Um, let me think. What else? Um there's um there's a recent book um by this author named Justine Villanueva that's called uh Mama Mama Know What I Like and it's in it's in English, Tagalog, and I, I forget what the other language is, maybe Bisayo, mm. but it's it's in, you know, several languages. That's a really good one. Okay. There's there's so many of them. Yeah. yeah. Um but I I luckily get a chance to like work with a lot of local um independent and you know with larger company authors and illustrators and so you know we trade books we we organize a a book festival called the social justice holiday book festival that happens Mm -hmm. in december um in oakland or the bay yeah it's in oakland yeah okay so i get to meet a lot of really cool book creators nice yeah thanks for that i've heard of some of them but i haven't heard of Others, I have a few of the the ones that you mentioned at home, but I think that would be great for folks to sure, look yeah. into. Yeah, I can email you a bunch of books as well if you want to put in the show notes or something. Yeah, definitely, definitely will. Yeah. Um, along with that, uh, you being a not 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 a, a children's writer initially as an artist, who are some of your favorite, or who are you, some of the artists that you look to for that have influenced you or that you just kind of like pick you up when you're having like artist block or something oh man um well i think like as an artist like like you're kind of always taking in inspiration you know from mm-hmm. you know sometimes from uh a sculpture or a tree i guess just it's really hard to turn it off so i'm, I'm always like absorbing things and sometimes i have to like uh <laughs> intentionally kind of like okay put the blinders on I'm like that with social media, too. Sometimes I have to be like, okay, today is a non-social media day just because it, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. I tend to absorb a lot of energy. But um, visual artists, um, when I was a kid, Mo2, um, he's a graph writer from uh, Paris, uh, Mauritania through Paris. He was incredible. Um, he had a, a piece that was on the cover of this book called Spray Can Art uh, by Jim James Prigoff, I think it was his name. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, when I saw that as a kid, my mom bought the book for me. My mind was just blown. Like, uh, I had never seen, I was into it and I, you know, from around seeing it around my neighborhood, but, um, yeah, I was just blown away by that, that guy. And he still is really inspiring today. He's, he's still painting. Um, so yeah, Mo two is a big one. Um, I, I met him in person once cause he did a show, um, Rifa, who's a graph writer from Oakland, uh, organized a show of all black graph writers, and he was there, and I was just like, that was the only time I was starstruck, where I was just like, uh, 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 right. trying to say something, I like, couldn't even get the words out. Um, Dream, Dream One, who's from Oakland, he's yeah. 
Filipino writer. He's a huge inspiration. Um, I met him when I was about 10 when he worked at Shirtik. And um, yeah, he's always <laughs> a huge inspiration. Him, Spy, Spy mm-hmm. from PK in San Francisco, huge inspirations. Um, that's in terms of graffiti writing. When I when I start thinking of like illustrators, um, there's so many. I mean, like Mobius is a huge one. I really love Mobius's work. The the comic book artist or whatever from yep. France. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mobius is really dope. Um, who else? Um, Terrell Whitlatch. I don't know if you know her. She's mm-hmm. uh, she does a lot of uh, creature design for uh, films. I think she did a lot for various films, but I love her work um there's a lot of them um i mean besides illustrators um octavia butler is a huge inspiration to me she's a science fiction writer yeah um right now i'm reading um this book by um what's her name justina ireland that's about uh it's called dread nation and it's about it's like an alternative history it's about like this black woman who's around the time of uh, reconstruction right after slavery is ended Mm -hmm. And uh, during the Civil War, um, soldiers on both sides of the the camps, uh, the uh, what do they call them, the the Union and uh, the Confederacy, they they get killed, but they come back to life as kind of zombies, and they start like eating their fellow soldiers. <laughs> uh, and so there's it's this whole other alternative history where uh, the black folks and the native folks are sent to these camps where they learn how to defend the white folks, like as skilled fighters. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting story. Huh. Um, who else can I think of? Uh, phase two, Buddy Esquire. I don't know if you remember like the old school hip hop flyers from like the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. uh, in New York. They had a lot of really cool party flyers. Um, so Buddy Esquire is one of my favorites who worked on those flyers. Um, yeah, there's so many, dude. I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> on for hours. Yeah. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. I'll jot those down too and add those. I'm gonna look those up too. Um, yeah, yeah, most definitely. I was uh, I was looking at um, actually the recent, you know, the recent teacher strike and um, just looking at the the art, the the protest art from mm-hmm. just, I mean, just in general, especially around Oakland and the Bay, but the teacher strike uh, protest art on signs and t-shirts um were pretty dope it kind of it, it brought me back to um you were talking about the old hip-hop uh, party flyers that were all handmade and stuff mm-hmm. um had a different kind of texture to them because you know like the whole printing and creation process was totally different right um sorry tangent <laughs> no 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 it's all good um yeah those it was really uh it's always dope to see that because when it comes to like your everyday lay people who are not in the movement or not involved in any way, um, the art cuts through all the BS. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter what Fox News is saying, doesn't matter what KPFA is saying, uh, if it's progressive or uh, uh, what's the word, uh, all right. Um, yeah. If you have some artwork that really is striking and says what it is, plain and simple, without no guesswork, like it can really galvanize people and like yeah. they may not show up at the protest but they might have that one poster up on their wall for years to come and anytime someone comes over they'll ask them about it and be like what's that and then they you know oh, i got this here or i got that there um so the the artwork is really powerful 
um i I co-founded a collective called trust or struggle and it's Mm. we're nearing 16 years now and one of the hugest things that we've been able to do is to paint murals because you know there is some incredible incredible artwork at moad um if you're in new york there's so many beautiful museums to see yeah Um, the bay area the moma like this incredible work that's there but oftentimes people either they don't know about it or they don't go or it's too expensive and they're like man i'm not about to pay you know to go see some art whatever mm-hmm. but if they see a mural like just walking to school or driving um it can really catch someone's attention especially if it's a mural that's not like we are the world let me put a peace sign and a tree up yeah like some striking stuff that makes you go what is that as opposed to oh i know what that is you know what i mean yeah so the the political artwork i mean i think if if a movement, no matter what type of movement it is, doesn't have artwork, it ain't going to work. You know, mm. it's, it's like they say, you know, if there's no dancing in the revolution, like, you know, I don't want to be a part of it. Like, yeah. it really does have to have strong visual art, music, all that stuff is really important because, you know, otherwise people are they're just not going to feel it. Yeah, that's super. That's really true. Um, those are the lasting impressions, I think. But I think that actually the first impressions that some people have and then also some of the lasting impressions that they have. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, you know, every movement, everything is, there's there's complications and different layers to it. But like you said, the, whatever, the audio art, the visual art, it cuts through. Yeah. For that specific, the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. That thing that it hits. Yeah. Um, I- yeah, I mean, you think of the way the how far the country has come in terms of its awareness of gay people or queer people or the LGBTQ community. I think way more people are at least accepting of it now because of you know comedians like Ellen or TV shows like uh, what was it Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. There's so many different forms of artwork that have kind of helped people if they didn't know someone who was queer before uh, get to know them through the artwork, and um, I think yeah it's really powerful in changing people's minds in a very authentic way it's not like a politician telling you you need to do this or this is mandatory it's more like let me sit down and check this out yeah i mean that's why they say representation matters right yeah i mean this that's one piece for for you to recognize something and attach to it but it's also for you to to find other people and learn more about other folks and so you're not just like living off of the limited whatever it is that you have of folks Mm -hmm. no most definitely i mean like uh i've heard and it's especially true for me too because i come from a mixed background i've heard people um when it comes to that movie crazy rich asians Mm -hmm. um, talk about um the way aquafina talks black folks i'm talking about Mm -hmm. like why she talk like that like thinking that she's trying to uh, uh, disrespect black people or kind of like make fun of them mm-hmm. like dude like i know so many asian folks that that is how they talk like they grew up with like they all grew up in the same neighborhood so that's how they talk um or maybe they didn't even grow up in the same neighborhood but they went to school with a lot of different types of people so they kind of all it's like a mishmash of you know what they speak the slang and tone and all that yeah so, there's so many i mean just thinking about asian americans in particular like there's so many stories and i'm not talking about like oh let's make a movie about ancient china or ancient yeah. ever <laughs> i'm talking about like people who are living right now yeah um 
that is just really like folks need to see like they need to know like there's some people who still come up to my dad and i remember him telling me because he you cannot tell by looking at him that he's mixed with all these other things like he's mm. just asian but there's some people who have said to him like oh you speak english really good and he's like fuck it like I, I was, you know like yeah yeah I, I may not have been born here but like i've been here like i i know how to speak yeah so it's yeah there's a lot of stories that need to be told yeah i mean it's that stuff still happens yeah um yeah i was about to ask before you said like what what does your dad present as or like you know not present like what people kind of take him for yeah i mean he looks uh, he has he's out of all his siblings he looks the most asian like mm -hmm. his his two other sisters they look more mixed i would say um and uh, I have a, a his younger brother, my uncle, who passed away much, much uh, before I could even remember him, who also looked very mixed. So, um, yeah, he's if you didn't know any better, you'd be like, oh, that's just a that's an Asian guy. But <laughs> you talk to him. No, I, that's funny because um, well, not that part, but the you talk about Aquafina. I had a I was at a, an, another job or two of my friends now because I used to work with them, but. One of them grew up, you know, talking however he talks, and he's Asian. Yeah. He grew up in L.A. And then my other friend, he's he grew up in New York. He's half white, half black. Mm -hmm. And he told me, like, the first time he met the other guy, he was like, is this dude trying to make fun of me or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, yeah, until they realize that's just how he how he talks. Yeah. And he wasn't saying it out of, like, being necessarily offended or anything like that because his... um. He has, you know, he's he got friends from all over the place and stuff. It was just that it, it kind of took him off guard initially. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, people don't know. I mean, to give you an example, um, when I was a kid, I did not know that there were black folks that spoke Spanish. I didn't mm -hmm. know. And yeah. uh, even more so when I when I saw uh, black people with an English accent for the first time. Oh, my God. <laughs> on the way, I was like, what is going on? Like... Yeah, I think uh, oftentimes I worked as a teacher for many years and oftentimes I would have a lot of black and Latino students together and I would tell them like, you know, there's people just as dark as you who speak Spanish, you know, better than they do. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like mm. it's it just like, yeah, there's there's so many stories that need to be told so that um, not just kids, but like people in general can like really be up on game or know, you know, there are a lot of types of people in the world. Yeah, and it normalizes for them that they, I because mean, even now, I, even though there's like token diversity in in most mainstream media, it's still, it's still a kind of homogenized place, right? Because yeah, yeah, and it's kind of, I mean, I get it on what. No, I don't mean I get it. I, I I can guess I can get why, but then I don't understand really like percentage wise of who's who's watching and why it's still catered to a primarily white audience, even though. Mm -hmm we know that those aren't everyone that's watching these shows, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it depends on the budget because if it if it comes to something that costs a lot of money, they, they have focus groups, they have um, producers, they have, uh, you know, the studio or, you know, if maybe it's not a studio, maybe it's a publishing company, but they have several different um, gatekeepers or hands that it has to go through. And if all of those people don't get it you're less likely to yeah. get it made so that's why they're always surprised when a movie like get out or um what's the new one boosted um sorry to bother you like any of those things mm -hmm. 
when they do well, they're like, oh wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't know people. It's like, duh, duh, you know, like, yeah. uh, and it's like they end up trying to make it, you know, homogenized or universal, quote unquote, by taking out all the flavor, and by the time they're done, you know, it's whack. Like nobody is like, you're like, ah, uh, this is, this is whatever. Um, but when you leave it, you know, very, very specific, I think it's even more universal because even if you're not from that community, there's something in it you can relate to. Yeah. Uh, do you keep up with pop culture stuff much? Um, some of it. It, it depends. Um, my wife watches a lot of TV shows, so I get to hear a little bit of you know TV stuff from her. <laughs> um, of course, social media, and then you know little little snippets here and there. What do you think about the whole Green Book stuff? Oh, the Green Book stuff. I haven't <laughs> seen the film yet. I love uh, Mahershala Ali. I think he's a great actor. I yeah. love Viggo Mortensen. I also think he's a great actor. Um, they both, you know, separately have done incredible work. I love them both. Um, from what I hear, they didn't get the story right, you know. So I, yeah. I think it's definitely um, a reason why people are pissed. Yeah. And I was definitely like, how this movie about to win over Black Panther? Yeah. You know. <laughs> best picture i'm sure like people were just roasting the hell out of them for that one but um yeah i i, I haven't seen it yet so i mean i think the the story of the green book is a very incredible one you know I yeah think most young people if, if your grandparents didn't bring it up to you you have no clue what the green book is like that you know that in and of itself is an incredible story that you know you could have so many layers to or so many different stories of that yeah yeah, I didn't know anything about the green about the real Green Book mm -hmm. until this movie popped up, and then now where I'm working, they actually invested in some projects around Green Book, but uh, not the movie, but the actual Green Book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, take for example, do you remember that movie, A League of Their Own? Mm-hmm. Um, about the women who play bas baseball, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a scene in the movie where um, there's a black woman who walks on the field who like takes the ball and throws it back to Gina Davis. I don't yeah. Know. That. no no yes yeah, one of my favorite movies <laughs> yeah so she's that woman who threw it back is actually um she was a real ball player her name was uh tony tony stone i believe but she she was from the south she was the first black woman in the negro leagues to play on an all guys team and she played for um, a san francisco negro league team as well um and you know she only got like a tiny little you know that little cameo and they don't say who she is but yeah that's who it's meant to be yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you can just imagine, like, what it would have been like traveling the South at that time as a baseball team, like, you can't go to certain hotels. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know which gas station will uh, accept your money, you could really be stuck in one uh, city or one state and not get out. And, you know, if you have no place to sleep, no place to eat, I mean, it really was like, you know, Google before Google. Um there, there are there are picture books about it that's how i found out about it because my grandparents didn't tell me but um yeah it's it's quite an amazing uh thing you know like a lot of work i'm sure went into making sure they had like updated regular lists of places you could go and not get your ass whooped or, or something yeah and then the word of mouth that they had to use to kind of get to make that happen yeah i mean across i mean across the country right yeah I mean, even i mean we we you know anyway 
it is an amazing story. There's picture books about it in terms of like children's books. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a that's how I found out about it. There's a I can't remember the name of it, but um, yeah, there's picture books about it. Okay, I'm gonna Google that. But like, imagine I'm sure there's things like that for like uh, you know, Chinese immigrants or Filipino immigrants when they come to the states. They're yeah. Like, oh, you need to go here and here and here and talk to that person. Um, you know that most people don't even know about. Yeah. Which is crazy why it's, I mean, not crazy, but it's why, why it's even sadder that, it, you know, these uh, cultural enclaves that got built up because of racism. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in Oakland and wherever, and now they're being torn down because they're the easiest to choose to pick on in terms of gentrification and stuff. Yeah. Um, what do you... So you've been living, you pretty much lived in Oakland most of your life, or a lot of your life. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. What do you? How do you feel about Oakland right now in terms of the changing of it? Um, it depends. I mean, it depends on which day you ask me. I mean, yeah. there are some things like you know, I was I was just um, doing some research about uh, biking and cycling in, in cities and how cities like Amsterdam and uh, I think it is uh berlin or moscow are like really bike friendly mm-hmm. so, you know when i when at first i was apprehensive about these random ford bikes just showing up in the hood i was like what the fuck you know like what is this um i kind of understand how that can be helpful like you know to kind of foster a culture of cycling and you know whereas before you would have been able to do a million donuts in the middle of the street there is now a divider that makes it easier for both cars and cycles to use the same street mm-hmm. uh, that part of my mind is like, okay, yeah, that's cool. That's a good advancement. We need that. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think of Third Street in San Francisco, like how the trolley went from, you know, whatever, downtown all the way to Hunters Point, like it's cool because in in a sense, like people from um, HB can get, you know, they have access to this other part of the city. Yeah. But what comes with it, um, it you know, it's really frustrating because it's it's race based, it's class based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you think of redlining, for example, like there's throughout history in the United States, there's all these major metropolitan cities where they just drew lines around districts and said, y'all can be over here. We are all going to be over here. And like yeah. literally would not give people loans to even get out. I mean, that's why, like you said before, that's why there's Chinatowns. That's why there's mm-hmm. predominantly Latino communities or, uh, quote unquote black neighborhoods. Um, so that part is really infuriating to me because I know the history of like people being able to get access to bank loans and Mm -hmm. um, corporate jobs that allows you to have upward mobility and you know move to the suburbs or the type of income that allows you to purchase your house or the business next to you or the entire block so that way you know 30 years down the line someone can't just come into your neighborhood and buy up everything Mm -hmm. out so yeah it depends on which day man like some (laughs) days i can see the positives of it and some days i'm just really like you know infuriated i mean especially when you see all of the um all of the cranes that are all around the city because yeah that used to be this or that used to be that and yeah yeah it's it's um i mean change is inevitable all cities all places change that's the only constant but um yeah who gets to decide you know what what changes and what doesn't um historically seems to be mostly white mostly very wealthy yeah mostly male and that's that's frustrating yeah 
and the thing is like you know it, it's and the arguments is that you know what you don't want development and it's like yeah we want development but yeah. Yeah. we want development for the people that live here the, the right. people that have been living here not sometimes not even by choice right you know we talked about mm-hmm. um, yep. like talking about the hp the the trolley that can take folks from the hp down to the rest of the city mm-hmm. but like then you go to the question of like who is that built for who, right who are we bring are we bringing people from hp into the rest of the, the community or bringing more people from the rest of the community to to go to hp and make it viable for them to 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 move in and work downtown and all that stuff right yeah i mean because i mean you think of like you know people get on next door and they just moved into East Oakland and they're like, why are they, you know, shooting? Like, what are, are those gunshots? And it's like, yeah, every day, every yeah. year. <laughs> like, if you was from here, you would know that. No. Um, <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah, there's, yeah, I think, and I think the cultural differences of people who are not from the areas that they're from. I mean, you know, I'm from the Bay and when I went to Brooklyn, I was an outsider. I was, yeah. you know, yep. someone probably would have considered me a, a gentrifier, so to speak, going yeah. to Bed-Stuy. Um but um yeah i think that there are many cool things that come with it and there are many things that just kind of uh highlight the inequalities in our society mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's it's frustrating uh do you bring a lot of oakland into your 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 work um it depends. Sometimes, I mean, I'm I'm working on a story right now, and I am definitely using Oakland as a backdrop. But when I did like Furcon's first, for example, I didn't want to make it Oakland specific. I just yeah. wanted to make it a city so that wherever you're from, you could kind of relate to taking the bus or yeah. going to a barbershop. Um, I think that no matter what, like it, just because I was born here and I lived so much of my life here, like it just comes with me like unintentionally sometimes yeah but um i think living in uh leaving your comfort zone and living in another place really helps you to not only open your mind to other peoples and other cultures but um really um i just kind of like honor or respect or really cherish you know where you come from or the things that you do know on your instagram you've been sharing some art for international women's month right? oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah uh you do theme you do theme like sketches um mm-hmm. for, for various different things uh are you going to be doing sketches all month for um international women's month um i won't have time now that my daughter's here to do new ones or, or i should say i won't be doing ones as much as i normally would like every day yeah. but i am going to try to do uh one larger piece um before the end of the month so cool. um if i can get that done that'll be really awesome i try to do one for black history month for mm-hmm. asian american uh heritage month as much as i can yeah yeah, yeah. cool um i appreciate you doing that because it, it also kind of reminds me to, to reflect on those folks and learn about them because yeah you know, there's lots of different names and faces that i don't know about yeah um yeah. You, you talked a little bit about the no social media day yeah um kind of days that you have mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that um yeah so um part of part of my job as a um a freelance artist is to promote my work so i do have to be on social media like um and uh they're good for different reasons so instagram is really good in terms of like 
it's almost like a rotating magazine in a sense where you know i curate you know several things for this month or for this mm-hmm. holiday or uh you know something about my family where i'm intentional about that sometimes it's just like oh this has come up and i need to post it now yeah. but in general um i try to be uh, mindful about it when i use it um and twitter is similar and like there's a lot of um really great people in the kid lit community or in the art world or or um uh, social justice or political commentary, people who I follow or engage with, that's really uh, informative or, you know, there's an exchange there. It's not just me uh, putting out, here's my stuff, look at my stuff, look at my stuff. Um, and then Facebook, you know, it has its merits as well. Um, but so as a as a working artist, like I need to use social media to promote my work. It's how I let people know what's going on. It's how I sell artwork. It's um, how I kind of like you know come across as a brand so to speak but um i try very much to not talk shit like <laughs> i try to you know be yeah. respectful I, pretty much it's like if i wouldn't say it to your face i'm not gonna type it you yeah. know pretty much just because um that's just how i raise like you know don't start and i won't be none like i try to keep it pretty respectful occasionally i have like gone down the rabbit hole and like argued with someone yeah and i usually find it's pointless because uh if you can't see someone face to face like they're much less willing to hear you out or you uh conversely are willing to hear them so um i try to keep those things to a like you know let's holler when i see you but um the days off i started doing that this year so ever since january i've had um a day on and a day off so okay like today is friday um today was a social media day where I look in the morning and I look in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then tomorrow I won't look at it at all. I'll, I'll just, I'll look at some things like Tumblr, but in general, the ones that I stay off of are Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because I think, um, you know, it gets really exhausting when things are really crazy because it, it, it does take energy from me. Yeah. And I think that I don't need to know everybody else's business all the time. So I found myself last year just just looking at too much of other people's lives and being like, I need to go live my own life. So um, I try very much to not when it's when it's not a social media day, not let that be something that is capturing my attention. So like just go try to do something else like and for me, that's important because as an artist, you know, if you don't practice, you lose it. So I got to practice. So I'll remind myself you need to go work on your this or you know that um work on the craft basically um and then you know when it comes to like um trying to find out new stuff or new things i'll try to remember what it was like before social media and like go read a newspaper or like listen (laughs) to a podcast i mean i listen to you guys or i'll listen (laughs) to something else or you know what i mean like there's so much in the world beyond social media and like i think i was forgetting that so so far so good you know yeah I have one day on and one day off, and it has allowed me to read more books, um, just mm-hmm. be more present mm-hmm. in my world around me. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good plan. I think I need to do that. Do you feel be- like do you feel healthier? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, whether I'm a, a conscious person or a, a social justice minded person, I cannot fight every battle. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I cannot respond to every single thing. 
and I cannot, I, I just can't do it. I don't have the energy and I can't go to every single event. Like it's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I try to, you know, focus on the areas where I am really passionate about and really, you know, maintain that. And so, you know, what you were talking about, like the months of illustration, like it's really important to me to, um, draw people of color who, or women as well, who, uh, have been traditionally left out of the narrative. Like, I'm not trying to draw Dr. King for Black History Month. I'm trying to draw mm-hmm. someone who you've never heard of, you know, yeah. be- partly because I'm curious, but also because I want to have a dialogue with um, other artists and the people who follow me or the people who I follow. So um, I try to really be more mindful about my time now online. It's working now. And we'll see in a few months. <laughs> still working. Is there anything that you're into that you that that's been taking up a lot of your your headspace or whatever in terms of pop culture? Um, I think um, I was really into The Walking Dead. I, I like zombies, so uh-huh. uh, it's like a reoccurring thing for me. My wife doesn't like it at all, but yeah. um, I was really into it, and um, I've, I've heard that the new season is good, but I haven't seen it yet. So I'm 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 waiting for that to be on Netflix. I really love that. Um, especially it's just such a mixed group of people. Yeah. Uh, I really liked uh Stranger Things. Uh me and that's something me and my son and my wife all kind of get into. And so I love science fiction. I love the you know, monster aspect of it. So that's that's a fun show. Nice. Um, another thing that's kind of like a guilty pleasure is um The Rock has a new show that's called The Titan Games. <laughs> yeah. It makes fun of me all the time. But I, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that. It kind of reminded me of American Gladiators or something. I, was, I really would be like, okay, the next episode is coming on. I can't wait to watch the new episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, in terms of TV, those are the things that come to mind. Nice. Um, any, any dad moments or any, yeah, re- recently for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think... Um, being at home with my daughter, um, trying to maybe make some dinner so that way when my wife gets home from work that we can eat and like, that she's not waiting for me to cook, uh, making sure that my daughter is fed through the day and like I take care of her and like maybe go for a walk mm-hmm. and at the same time try to do a little bit of work. I, I, I really respect um, women, but also caregivers in general, like how much they have to do in order to keep a household going and to keep a relationship going because you know, you can be really tired at the end of the day. But um, I think I felt proud of myself for that. You know, like that was a cool dad moment to be like, okay, you know, there's no accidents today. <laughs> it's cool, fed. Um, I made dinner and I got a tiny bit of work done, you know. So that that's, I think, when I can like pat myself on the back. Yeah. Uh, dad fails or when I'm like, oh, this, you know, this bill or this thing is due or like, oh, I didn't get paid from this gig and that check was already supposed to be here and it's like okay now i'm financially you know not doing well like that that's a dad fail that really sucks but um you know whenever my daughter laughs or smiles like it really brightens my spirit so is there anything you want to plug or like where where folks can reach you um well i don't have anything new coming out per se um my website is rob don't stop so you can check out artwork there um i'm on instagram um you can just look up my name robert Lutrujillo. 
on Instagram, I think it's at Robert underscore T-R-E-S. So that's that's a place where people can check stuff out. Anything else you want to share before we sign off? Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for having me on. I think it's really awesome what you and Anton do with the podcast. Like, it's really cool to hear dads just talking about everyday stuff. Like, you know, I did really great with this or I failed at that <laughs> or, you know, this is what I'm into right now. Like, I appreciate like I'm not that well versed with sports, but like when you guys mm-hmm. talk about sports or uh, pop culture or music, like I, I really dig it. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing what um, you do. Thank you. Appreciate you listening. Yeah. Cool. Th- so thank you for being on. Um, I'm glad that we finally got to do this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, I, uh, we were trying to get you on one day, and then you know your daughter decided to come, and you know obviously, yeah. you know, good timing. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely.